Hi, church family. Uh, it is good to be with you here, even though we can't be together face to face. Uh, I'm glad we get to spend some time together. Uh, we love you. We miss you. And we're excited to worship together very, very soon. Uh, in the meantime, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what Jesus asks of his followers, especially during times like this. Um, our small group uh, went through a, a study on John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. What an interesting title, Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, that phrase, that title, comes from a childhood experience of John Piper's. Uh, Piper's dad was an evangelist. And as John tells the story, uh, as he was a kid at one of his dad's revivals, an old man who had been at the church or in the community for decades and decades and decades, everybody knew him, an old man at the end of the service came forward and gave his life to Jesus. And John tells the story, everyone files out of the sanctuary, everybody files out of the sanctuary, and he remembers this old man talking to his dad, and in the midst of the joy that comes from understanding that your sin has been taken away by Jesus, that Jesus has paid the penalty, the punishment on the cross for you. In the middle of all that joy that came with his salvation and pro proclaiming for the first time that Jesus is king, this old man grieved because he realized that he had spent decades and decades and decades rejecting Jesus. And as he realized that, John as a kid remembers this old man yelling out, Wasted! I've wasted it! And we know that Jesus is, is going to be all satisfying for him and, and, he, and all, those, all those wasted years are going to just fade away as he enjoys God forever. But you can know what, what he feels like hearing for the first time and understanding for the first time and having the Holy Spirit open the eyes of your heart to the depth of the mercy and love of Christ for you and then realizing that He is your King and He has given you all of this only to realize that you only have a short time to work for Him on earth. And that was a, uh, that was a really um, important moment for John, and that was a, that that has shaped his his ministry and his life because he said, "I from that moment on was dedicated to not wasting my life." It's a powerful image, uh, and I think about that often. It's it sticks with me, and I've thought about it a lot these past couple of weeks, especially with everything we're going on that's going on with the virus, I've been asking myself, how do we not waste our time now for the gospel? And I think maybe uh, Jesus might even say it this way, don't waste your quarantine. Don't waste your quarantine. There are people around us who are scared, who are hungry, who are needy, who feel Hopeless. There are people who don't know that Jesus is our hope. That He is all that we need. That He is all satisfying. There are people around us who don't understand, don't realize that Jesus is our fortress. That He is, he is our King. That He is good. That He has us in, our, in His hands. And now more than 
perhaps ever in our life, the field is ripe for a harvest. People are ready to hear the good news of Jesus. And so my heart has just been heavy and has been burdened. And it just, it, I, I just keep hearing in the ears of my heart, Jordan, don't waste your quarantine. So how can we, in, in this difficult season, trying season, how can we love our neighbor well? How can we be about seeing people saved? How can we be about meeting the needs around us? How can we be about, be about the things of our King? And I really think it comes down to this question, how can we love our neighbor as ourself in the midst of this difficult, complicated season that we find ourselves? Well, as Bob read, we're going to uh, look at one of the more popular stories, one of the more popular parables of Jesus, uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to talk about what it means to be a good neighbor, a loving neighbor. We're going to talk about what Jesus asks of His church. And we're going to talk briefly about what, how we can be a good neighbor in this season. And the picture, the parable starts out with this picture of a scribe who would be an expert in the law, an expert in the Bible. Okay, this is a, this is a preacher or a priest. Okay, that, That's kind of who he would be nowadays. And he comes to Jesus, and the passage starts out by saying something that, that he probably is not very proud of right now, is uh, he tested Jesus. You don't want to test Jesus. Yeah, that's the worst idea. Uh, he wants to test Jesus. And so he says it like this. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Another way to put that maybe is, uh, how can I earn eternal life? What are the things that I need to do so that I can be resurrected at the end with all the righteous people of God? What do I need to do? How do I enter into heaven? How can I be sure that I am saved? Back then, as it is now, that's a big debate. How does that exactly work? And so Jesus, in his brilliance, he knows what's happening. He knows that, that this guy tried to set a trap for him. And so Jesus turns the question back to him. You're an expert in the law. So Jesus says, what does the law of God say? What does the Bible say? And the scribe answers correctly. He says, he says this, to enter into heaven, that's the context, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's his answer. And Jesus tells him, you're right. Do this and you will live. So he, he answered with what's called the Shema. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. That's the Shema. Uh, they, they would recite this a few times a day. Um, many of them would have this tied around their arms. Um, they would put this uh, passage over their doors as they entered and left their house. They saw this. This was so important to the Jewish people, to this idea to love God. And what's, 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 what's the purpose behind it? To love God with everything you are. 
Not just your strength, not just the things that you do, not just your heart, not just your emotions, not just your mind, not just your intellect, but to love him with everything you are. To love him totally. And then we get this from a passage in Leviticus 19 as well as elsewhere. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as much as you would love yourself. To care for your neighbor as you would care for your own body. Jesus says, you're right. Do this and you will live. Do these things and you will inherit eternal life. And we we could imagine that that would be enough for the scribe, that he said, great, uh, we're on the same page here, I'm going to go do that. But he says something different. And the passage says, in order to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? To justify himself, to justify someone, to justify yourself is to to show yourself to be righteous, to show yourself to meet the mark. So to justify himself, he asks, who is my neighbor? Why would he do that? Why would he feel the need to justify himself in Jesus' question, in his response to Jesus' question? Well, I I think the answer is pretty clear to us if we can uh, examine ourselves Can any of us honestly say we love God with everything that we are, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Can we say that? No, I don't think so. Can any of us say we love our neighbor like we should? We love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Can any of us really, truly say that? No, I can't. I can't. And I know that you can't. And I know you can't because Scripture tells me, tells me this in Romans 3.23, for... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we have the scribe that, that knows the right answer from the Word of God, and, and, and his, 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 his next question reveals where his heart is, that, that he's, he knows that he's not there. He knows that he doesn't love his neighbor as himself. And so what Jesus was trying to do and what he's trying to get out of us and what the Bible tries to get out of us, what the Holy Spirit tries to reveal to us is that God has a standard for our lives. He is a holy God. He has a holy standard. And that standard is to love him with everything we are. And when we love him with everything we are, we will love his creation. We will love people made in his image. We will love our neighbor as ourself. That standard is way up here. And so what Jesus brings out, what he teases out of this scribe, and what he's trying to tease out of you, and what he's trying to tease out of me, is this understanding that his standard is here, and I am way down here. And so if I need to do this to enter into the kingdom of God, if I need to do this to be saved, I am well missing the mark. And that's so important. That's so important for you and for me and for every person who, who's walking the planet. That's so important to realize that we fall short of God's standard and to realize that the good news is because we fall short of the standard and in God's mercy and His grace, He provided for a, a way to be with God, to be right with God, to be forgiven. He provided a way to be righteous apart from that standard of living, apart from being perfectly loving. He provides a different way, and that different way is Jesus. That in God's mercy and His grace, He sent Jesus to live a perfect life, 
and to die on the cross. And he died on the cross to take the punishment that I deserve for falling so short of that standard. And he lived a perfect life so that he could credit my life with his righteousness. So that if I trust Jesus, if I place my faith in Jesus, then God sees me as perfectly righteous because I have Jesus' righteousness in my account. And he sees me as perfectly forgiven because Jesus' death on the cross took the punishment that I deserve. Isn't that beautiful? And so Jesus is teasing this guy out and he's trying to say this, uh, but the guy says, well, wait, 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 teacher, who's, then who's my neighbor? This is another theological discussion that's going on amongst the Jewish people at that time. Because that, that's, that's a pretty hard thing to do, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what are you going to do? What am I going to do when I realize I fall short? Well, maybe I can take that word neighbor and I can squeeze it and I can bend it and I can poke it and I can cut it. And maybe I can get it into a definition that really fits my lifestyle. And so they, they started asking, well, who really is my neighbor? Uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll just make sure I don't have many neighbors. Maybe I'll isolate myself from the world. And that way, maybe I have two or three neighbors. Um, and two or three maybe is a little bit more... Um, more manageable than everybody else in the world. Maybe that's what neighbor means. Or, or they said, I will define my neighbor as narrowly as possible. And so maybe the scribe has fallen into the camp that says, my neighbor is just the Jewish people. If you're, if you're a good Jew, you're my neighbor and I'll love you. But if you're anybody else, I don't have to love you. Do you feel this pull? I mean, what an incredible connection to the culture and political environment that we live in now. You get on social media, you, get on, you watch the news, what do we have? We have people who are desperately trying to show us that we are not their neighbor or they are not our neighbor. Or I have totally cast off this group of people because they vote differently than me. You feel that? And so, instead of being justified through Jesus, this man says, I'm going to try to justify myself by narrowing down who my neighbor is. And what's the truth? He might think he has a problem with loving his neighbor, but he's got a problem with loving God too, doesn't he? Just like the rest of us. And so Jesus says, instead of trying to give him a, a, a one-sentence answer instead of trying to do all the, any other theological arguments. Or, he says, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story. So he tells a story about uh, a, a guy walking from Jerusalem to Jericho down what's called the Pass of Blood. A spooky Pass of Blood. And this pass between, between Jerusalem and Jericho had a bunch of big rocks flanking the path and a bunch of big caves flanking the path and so you'd walk down uh, this craggly space and then robbers and terrorists and zealots and and murderers could be hiding in those caves and they made their living by pouncing on the unexpecting people and that's just what happened to this poor guy now we aren't told anything about this guy other than he was beaten to pulp left naked and, and left for dead that's all we were told and the reason that we weren't told anything one of the reasons we think is uh, so that we could put anybody in that position 
He could be anybody of any color, any creed, any religion. He could be anybody. And so we have this every man beaten to a pulp, lying on the side of the road. And then who walks by? A priest walks by. And a Levite walks by. Boy, these are the religious rock stars of the Jewish world. If anybody's going to know how to please God by loving their neighbor, it's these guys. If there's anybody who, who, who loves God, it's these guys. These guys are, if anybody can make that standard, it's these guys. And the priest comes, and he doesn't even get near, and he walks on by. And the Levite comes, and the language seems to tell us that the Levite might have gotten a little bit closer. He kind of peeked over at him, and then kept on walking. Now, we don't, we're not told their motives. We can imagine what their motives might have been. Um, maybe they're worried about touching a dead body or a bloody body. If they touch a dead or a bloody body, they'd be ritually unclean. Couldn't go to the temple until they cleaned themselves in the proper way. And so maybe their excuse was, well, I'd be super religious. And that's more important than loving this man. Um, maybe they avoided him because they didn't know if he was a sinner. A sinner. Um, they don't want to touch a sinner, help a sinner. Um, maybe, maybe they were scared that the murderer was going to get them. The robbers were going to get them. The zealots are going to get them. So we see them going on down the way. And then Jesus says, the hero shows up. And the hero of the story is a Samaritan. And he's a good Samaritan. And this, for the crowd listening to Jesus, they would have been in awe. You would have heard, oh, gasps. The Samaritan can't be a hero. You see, Samaritans were despised. They were, they take, to, take a deep, deep-seated racism from the Jewish people towards the Samaritans, and you can understand what the crowd would have felt. In fact, you can't eat with a Samaritan, you can't talk to a Samaritan, you can't touch a Samaritan. If a Samaritan walks past you on the street and his shadow touches you, you are ritually unclean. That's what the Jews thought about Samaritans. They were less than, they were less than human. And this Samaritan, the last person that we would expect, comes and he sees the man and he helps the man and he has compassion on the man and he is loving that man. And the Samaritan didn't know. The Samaritan probably assumed he was a Jewish man. And so the Samaritan is reaching out to who only he could imagine would be his enemy and picks him up cleans him up, takes care of him, and loves him. And Jesus tells a story, and he turns to the scribe, and he says, Who is being the good neighbor? Who is loving his neighbor as himself? And the scribe's answer is, is, is amusing. He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan, so he says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus turns to him, he says this, he says, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So Jesus took his question about, what's my responsibility? Who, who must I be a good neighbor to? Who must I love? I want to narrow that down as much as possible. Who do I have to love? Jesus says, that's not the right question. 
The right question for the followers of Jesus is to look around our world and to ask, who can I be neighborly to? How neighborly can I be to those around me? Knowing that I have an eternal inheritance with God, knowing that He will lavish grace upon me forever, I can afford to look around my world and say, I'm taken care of. Who can I love? That's the question. That's the question. And so, for us, at this time, how can we love our neighbor in the midst of a quarantine? It's a real question, church. How can we go and do likewise? Do we get to take a break from being neighborly? No. In fact, I think the virus has provided for us an opportunity where our neighborly actions can be more potent and more powerful than maybe ever in my life. I think that through this virus, God is providing the church with an opportunity to be involved in the billions of lives that He is, he is, he is working in through this time, that, that we can be involved in that and we can, we can love our neighbors in that and we can be involved in God's rescue mission and we can, we can be involved in something spectacular with eternal impact. Loving our neighbor. People are scared. People are needy. Now, maybe more than ever before in my lifetime, the love of the church is desperately needed. And so, so what, what principles can we take from this parable, the Good Samaritan, and apply them to our life now? Let me first say, be wise and be safe. Loving your neighbor right now involves being separated from them. Are you with me? Loving your neighbor now means being separated from them. But being, being neighborly does not rely on being physically present with somebody. We know, let me be very clear about this too, we know that the actions that we take to love the people around us does not earn our salvation. We are not doing this to earn heaven. We are not doing this to earn favor with God. We have already all the favor with God that we could possibly have because we are in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Jesus has all the Father's favor, and He gives it to us. So the Father has favor in Jesus forever as, and to an infinite degree, and He allows us to partake in that. So we already have all the favor of God. We are not earning salvation, because this is what the Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works. So no matter how we love our neighbor now, we can't earn heaven for loving our neighbor. That's not what we're doing. 
In fact, we are his workmanship, verse 10 says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what this says? Even the good things that I do now, I get no credit for because they're Jesus. They've been empowered by Jesus. I am his workmanship. So we're not earning things from him. So be wise, be safe. Understand that you're not earning something from God. Don't have a burden like, like God is going to be angry at you or going to love you less if you don't do that. No, be motivated by a love for our king and a love for our neighbor. So what I think, what I want us to take away from this passage at this time is, is two things. I think we see being neighborly, in Jesus' parable, Jesus sets up the Samaritan as the person that we should emulate. Jesus says we should be intentional. To love our neighbor is to be intentional, to seek out opportunities to love our neighbor. We see the priest, he barely, he barely looks at the, at the guy, he walks on by. We see the Levite, he kind of swings by, maybe takes a longer peek and then goes on by. We see the Samaritan as soon as he glances at the guy, as he gets a picture of him, he rushes over. He's intentional, he's looking for ways to love his neighbor. So, at this time, to not waste your quarantine, look around, be intentional, take Take this time when you're at home as an opportunity to grasp your mission to love your neighbor, to spread the gospel, to share the love of Jesus. Grasp that mission with both hands. Wake up each morning and say, okay, I've got time. I can seek out ways to intentionally love my neighbor. That might mean giving them a phone call. Right? Don't go over and knock at, knock at their door. Don't, you, don't, you don't have to be face-to-face to do this. Call them. How are you doing? Oh, you're struggling. How can I help? Oh, you feel helpless. Let me, you feel hopeless. Let me tell you about Jesus. The hope that we have in Jesus. Be intentional. Seek these opportunities out. Please call your church family. Make it your, your goal to also call three members of your church family. Check on them. Do it once a day. Do it every couple days. Please do that. Please be intentional about that. We're, being, we're intentional, and we see the Good Samaritan be sacrificial. We see the Samaritan come and pick the man up. We see him bandage his wounds. He likely didn't have any bandages. He's likely ripping his own clothes to bandage the poor man. Sacrificial. We see him pour oil and wine on the man's wounds. That's probably what he was going to to drink, what he's going to be nourished with on his hot journey, sacrificing that. We see him give the man his own donkey, set him on his own donkey. It means he's walking. Samaritan is walking. We see the Samaritan give of his money. He gives the money for the, to the innkeeper and says, take care of this guy until I come back. We see sacrificial love. Being, a neighbor, being neighborly is about sacrificing what God has given us for the good of our neighbors. What if I don't have much to give, preacher? It's not about the amount you give. It's about the amount you have left. Are you with me? 
It's not about who can give the most. It's about who can give sacrificially out of, the, out of the love in their heart. Feed your kids, pay your bills, do those things, and look for ways that you can sacrificially give to those around you. Church, let me be honest with you. I wish I had more concrete ways that I could tell you this is what we're going to do. Everybody, we're going to show up here and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We can't do that. That's not wise. That's not loving your neighbor. It's difficult. I'm struggling with that. And so what I think the most powerful way we can love our neighbor as Trinity Baptist Church is at this time, maybe God will raise something else up. We were able to feed a bunch of kids and a bunch of people. I mean, that was great. Maybe God will raise something else up. We're praying that He does. But I think the more power, most powerful thing that we can do as Trinity Baptist Church is not necessarily one big effort in this direction, but 150 small efforts all over this community where Spirit-filled Christ followers are looking to glorify Jesus by joyfully loving our neighbors where we can by joyfully seeking out opportunities, by joyfully sacrificing for our neighbors. That's going to make Jesus look glorious. Church, we have an opportunity to glorify God in this season that can make a tremendous impact. Eusebius was an ancient church father. So 1,500, 1,800 years ago. He speaks of his church's response to a very similar pandemic in his community. And he says this, Because of the church's compassion, their deeds were on everybody's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Wow! In the midst of a pandemic, those believers found a way to love their neighbors in such a way that, that the Christian's deeds were on everybody's lips. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, let's not waste our quarantine. Let's be intentional. Let's search for ways that we can love our neighbor. Let's search for ways that we can love each other. And let's be sacrificial to meet the needs of the people around us. And let's do this all in the name of Jesus. When you sacrifice for someone, let them know that this is not a Jordan thing. This is because Jesus is good and merciful and He is King. And He has come to provide salvation for all who call upon His name. My friends, Jesus loves you. Our church loves you. I love you. Let us not waste our quarantine. Let's love our neighbor for our King who loves us. We love you. We'll see you again really soon.